The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Um, I'm glad you guys are here tonight at the Inn. My name is Janie. I'm one of the staff people here at UMIN. So it is so great that it kind of feels like spring is here finally, right? And then we had, we had all those teaser days. We'd have these days where it'd be like, yes, it's here. And then the next would be like 40 and raining crazy. But I'm very excited that spring is here. Yeah, it's awesome. I think we're all excited that spring is here. And so, like I said, I'm a, one of the people that's on staff here at UMIN, and I actually don't have any children of my own, so I can't tell you about some cute story um, about my own kids, but I'm going to tell you a cute story about one of my nephews, okay? So we'll just pretend um, like they're my kids for this time, but anyway, so I have... I have a few nephews, and um, I have a picture, I think, of them. Yeah, okay, so that's my nephew. That's my niece. That's Megan, and that's my nephew, Cole. That's a great photo of him. But anyways, and I'm going to tell you something about Cole. So uh, um, my sister, this was a couple years ago. I think Cole's about 10 now. This was a few years ago. My sister was putting Megan and Cole to bed, and she goes in to talk to Megan, just tucking her in before um, Megan goes to bed, and they're having a conversation, and and my sister asks Megan, Megan, you know, if you could go up to heaven right now and ask God one thing, and God would give you a response immediately, what would you ask? So Megan thinks about it, and she says, I'd probably ask, you know, how come there's suffering in the world? How come, you know, there's people in pain and there's sin? And honestly, that's probably something that I would ask, too. I'd probably ask a similar question to what Megan asked. Um, And then my sister goes into Cole's room and she's putting him to bed and she asks Cole the same question. She says, Cole, if you could go up to heaven right now and say to God, you know, one question and God would give you an immediate response, what is it that you would ask? And Cole thinks about it for a minute and he says, how about a tour? That's what he wants. A tour of heaven. That's what Cole wants to ask God for, which is great. That kind of just gives you a little insight into Cole. He's really uh, fun, and he likes to have a good time. So the reason I tell that story is that I think it's great that we all have different expectations in our individual relationship with God. We have different things that we're going to bring to God, different things that we're going to ask of God, and Cole's a great example of that. Um, and tonight we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit. We're going to look at our individual relationships with God. And I want to start actually at first to talk a little bit in review where we've been. Last week we concluded a series that we've been doing for the last few weeks on strength and weakness. And we've been looking at what does it mean, this paradox that Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And we came to this conclusion that when we are in When we discover our weaknesses, that is the place where Christ's strength fills us the most. It's in the midst of our failures and our flaws that God's grace can be seen. Now, this idea of strength and weakness is a central part of our faith, right? It's something that's really important that we hold to in our faith. Um, And it's important in our relationship with Jesus. And the question from there is, so how do we do that? 
how do we practically embrace this idea of strength and weakness? What does that look like? I think there's lots of different places we can look for answers. One of the best places is to look at words that Jesus spoke, teaching that he gave. And so we're going to look at John um, chapters 14 and 15 tonight, just a couple different places. This is a section of scripture where Jesus is teaching his disciples right before he's arrested and put on trial. Um, So we're going to look at John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, you might be familiar with these verses, the scripture. Jesus makes several I am statements throughout the book of John. This one's probably the most well-known. Jesus says, I am the way. Now, once we make a decision to follow Jesus, we, our first question is usually, okay, so what's next? What do I need to do next? And to follow the way of Jesus, we need to consider what that means. It means that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who has called us, by Jesus. It means that we are going to pick up the rhythms and the ways of doing things according to the ways that Jesus does things. It means that we are going to look at the things that Jesus says, not only what he says, but what he does. Not only what he does, but how it is that he does those things. Following the way of Jesus means that we're going to pay close attention to who he is so that we can follow the way that he leads. So what we're going to look at tonight is this idea of the way of Jesus in the next couple weeks. Because I realize when I say that we're going to follow the way of Jesus, it's kind of nebulous, right? It's not exactly practical. We want some handles to hold on to to tell us, what does that look like? How do I actually do that? And that's what I want us to do tonight. But before we do that, I'm going to stop a minute and just pray for our time. Gracious God, I thank you that you are the way in our lives. I thank you that you are present with us and for us. And I pray that tonight that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our sights would be acceptable in your sight. God, I pray that you will be with us. We want to glorify you. In your name, amen. So a little while ago, I was having kind of a hard time with this idea of following the way of Jesus. Not that I had completely gone off the deep end, you know. My life looked pretty much the same as it usually does. Going about, you know, my regular day, rocking and rolling and whatnot. But when it came to my pursuit of God, I just, I wasn't feeling it. And this wasn't that long ago. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit, but it's reality. I was like, you know, what else? I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm not going to put any effort into it. And I ended up at this retreat. And at this retreat, we were talking about this exact thing. What does it mean to follow the way of Jesus? And the person who was speaking, she said, following the way of Jesus means that we are people who abide in Christ. And I was kind of like, okay, great. You just explained an abstract concept with an abstract concept. Helpful for me. That's awesome. But what does it mean to abide in Christ? Let's unpack that a little bit. 
After stating that he is the way and the truth and the life, in John chapter 14, Jesus goes on to do some more talking, um, talking to the disciples. And in John chapter 15, you're probably familiar with this passage. It's pretty important for anyone who considers himself a follower of Jesus. John 15, 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me... You can do nothing. So in Greek, this word abide is the word meno. And it's actually used a lot in scripture. John, in the books that he wrote in the Bible, uses it like 43 times. So he's a big fan. Um, But this word abide has a lot of different definitions. But the one I think most clearly is being expressed here is the idea of stay. To abide means to stay, to remain To dwell in a place. And it means to be expectant. Kind of like you're sitting on the edge of your seat expecting something. You are expecting something that you know is going to happen. Well, at this retreat, um, the person then held up this branch for us to look at, right? A branch just like this one. And we noticed what was significant about this branch. Well, it's dead, She'd found it on the ground. It's ugly. It doesn't have any fragrance, right, that people would like to be around it. They'd just kind of step over it. It doesn't offer any life to the life around it, right? It doesn't provide any shelter. It doesn't provide any shade. A bee couldn't, you know, take whatever it takes from this to make life to other trees around it or other plants. You know, the birds and the bees, that whole thing. And then she, took, she put down this branch, and she held up this tiny little bud. And what we noticed about this tiny little bud is that it was green. It was full of life. It had been connected to a vine. There's this expectation of what is to come with this little green bud. And I've seen, you know, I don't know, millions of object lessons, lessons like this going to Sunday school and church, you know, most of my life. And at that moment when I was sitting there looking at the difference between these two branches, I just realized how much I desperately wanted to be like that tiny bud. And all of the growth and expectation that was contained within it. But how much when I was realistic with myself, I was like the big ugly branch, disconnected from God in almost every way, which makes God's ability to work in my heart and in my life nearly impossible. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, we all go through periods where we're completely disconnected from God. By not putting any effort into my relationship with God, I was completely closing off the ability for God to actually reach me. I, don't, I wasn't abiding. I wasn't dwelling. I wasn't waiting in expectation for God to be at work. Basically, I had given up. 
And what I realized in the midst of that retreat is not only following Jesus the way for us to reach God, it's also the way for God to reach us. How is God going to be able to work in our lives without us making ourselves available to hear what God has to say? To see what God is going to do. To watch how God is going to work in and through us. In following the Jesus way, we are not only following what Jesus said, we are also following what he did. Throughout the Gospels, the writers of the Gospels made a point of letting us know all these times when Jesus went off by himself and connected with God. I have several of those verses to show you, um, starting in Matthew 14, 23. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And the next one, Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went, in, went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then in Luke 9.28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. If we want to grow in our relationship with God, we have to be intentional about that relationship, about following the way of Jesus. It's not just something that's going to magically happen. All right, I made a decision to follow Christ. I'm going to be transformed. It's going to be great. Because left to ourselves, we are fragmented and distracted. We are jerky and spastic. We are selfish and chaotic. That is what sin does to us. It's only through taking time out of our lives, our everyday lives, and it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but being willing to take time out of our lives so that we can know God more, we can experience God more, we can look at the ways that God has for us so we can move away from being chaotic, distracted, fragmented, and move toward being connected to God, a relationship with him where we will find rest and peace. Now, I've asked a student, actually, to come up here and share with you a little bit tonight. Um, he's working his way up here now, and I want him to share with you what, has, what his life has been like in pursuing a relationship with God. So this is um, Jacob Ajala. Jacob's coming on up. Um, and Jacob is from Nigeria, correct? Yes, he's from Nigeria. And he's, you've been here about five years. Here, you can have the microphone. Yeah. It's been, you've been here about five years, and in the fall, you're going to go to medical school yep. in uh, the Caribbean. Rough life. Great. Um, <laughs> Jacob, why don't you start off just by telling us sim- simply, what is it that you do to pursue a relationship with God? Well, um, first thing in the morning when I wake up is I grab my Bible, and I read my Bible in the morning. And I have this policy where if I don't read my Bible, I don't eat. So it's like a no Bible, no breakfast thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that kind of keeps me focused. And over the course of the years, um, I've grown out of that where um, I don't even have to eat to get breakfast. I kind of like don't eat breakfast anymore. So... Um, 
So, but this all started back in 2005 when I was getting ready to come to the States. And I just wanted to leave Botswana where my dad was because my dad himself is a missionary in Botswana. So he got, you know, it's like I'm walking down the street and everyone's like, aren't you the kid or so and so? And I was like, well, I don't want to be known by my dad, but I wanted to create my own legacy. So I decided I want to get out of here. And so my dad had a hard time letting me go. So he said, the only condition that I have for you to go to the States is you have to read your Bible. I was like, oh, that, that sounds easy. <laughs> but, um, and then after I said that sounds easy, he said, well, and one more thing. You have to write me a two-page essay every day on what you read. So I was like, okay, I just killed myself here. <laughs> Uh, so um, after a few days, I was like, okay, well, you got a deal because I want to get out of here, so I'm going to do it. So since 2005, I've been reading my Bible every day, and I've been writing a two-page essay and emailing it to him every day. And he no longer has that requirement. You just do it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, he doesn't require He's getting older now, so it's like, yeah, he doesn't have time for me. <laughs> <laughs> So you've been doing that for five years, Yeah, reading the Bible every day and writing two-page essay. Pretty much. Um, there's a few days where I really don't feel like it, and I just, you know, open my Bible and just flick through it, mm. but um, I just do it. <laughs> uh, so I guess I'd love to hear why do you keep doing this every day, and what have you discovered about God and yourself in the midst of pursuing this relationship in this way? Well, like I said earlier on, it all started with my dad giving me a mandate to um, write a two-page essay. But um, one of the things that over the years I've realized that is God doesn't love me because, God will not love me because I read the Bible. Um, he loves me regardless of whether I read the Bible or not. And it, the Bible is there for me to read. It's for my benefit. And, you know, I can do without reading the Bible. But the thing is, if I don't read the Bible, there's no way for me to grow. And there is no way for me to, I, I get easily, um, I can be easily deceived. So, um, also one of the things that I've learned is patience. You know, the chance when you read the Bible and you're just like, what the heck is this? <laughs> and so, you know, it's like I read it and I just flick through it and I'm like, okay, well, you just sit over there for a minute and I'll come back to you. But you know, it's, it's, it, the, reading the Bible takes time to understand and, you know, getting to know the stories of the Bible, not just knowing, but being able to articulate it when someone asks you a question is one of the things that I find interesting. And one, of the, one, one thing that I could say is the chance when we read the Bible is though it's a novel. And I can, it's, the Bible is not meant to be read as a novel. It's meant to be applied in life. And it's kind of like eating food and just putting it in your mouth and swallowing it and then puking it up again. It doesn't do you any good. It just goes in and out and there are no nutrients. So if we read the Bible as though it's a novel, we don't get anything from it. So that's one of the few things that I've learned from it. And I think it's um, taken me a long way. Great. Well, thank you so much. Let's thank Jacob for sharing. Um, I don't have. I didn't have Jacob come up and share tonight because I wanted you to be intimidated by his story. I don't expect you all to go out and read the Bible and then send me two-page essays every single day. Frankly, I wouldn't want to read them. But. Not that I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't have time. Sorry. Phrase.com. 
We aren't all going to start exactly where Jacob is, but we can start somewhere. We can start small. It's taken years, five years, for Jacob to develop this discipline in his life. And I know you have the time. I know that you have the time, even though that you think you might not. And if you don't, then you can make the time. Five fewer minutes of Facebook a day. Five minutes. Five fewer minutes of playing video games. Five fewer minutes of sleeping. This is about discovering a, your real life in Jesus. You can't do that unless you put in the time. Something as simple as reading your Bible, praying, confessing, meditating, not so you can produce change in your own life, in your spiritual life, but so that you can put yourself in a place where change can occur. Because God can be at work. God's transformation can happen within you. And if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, maybe you can put in the time to read God's word and discover the truth about who God is for you. God has given us incredible gifts that provide us with access to him. Now let me guess what some of you are thinking. Gifts? We call these spiritual disciplines, and you're saying these are gifts? I don't think so, Janie. That sounds like work. But I want you guys to change the way that you think about it. Because these exercises, reading the Bible, journaling about your faith journey, meditating on a psalm, they don't bring about change in us, but they put us in a place where change can occur. They put us in a place where we can actually receive God's grace. God's grace is going to work its way down into us more and more, into our places of weakness into those crevices where we don't want anybody to see or know about in our lives, into who God has created us to be. Now, I realize that saying that we need to be active participants in our faith and our relationship with Jesus kind of sounds like a contradiction, right? goes against everything we've talked about at the end so far this year. The book of Romans, in last quarter, we talked about how we are saved through grace, by the faith that we have in God's grace in our lives. So, if it's not about what we're supposed to do, how does that fit in? Now, believe me, I'm someone who has desperately tried to earn God's love throughout my faith journey, so I totally know what you're talking about. And I agree, our salvation, our transformation, is through nothing that we do. However, however... If we are going to be people who follow the Jesus way, then it is absolutely imperative that we take ownership of our faith. Take ownership of our relationship with God. And actually do something about it in our everyday lives. We have to be active participants in our faith. We can't be passive waiting for something to happen to us, we actually have to do something to make a change in our lives. And in doing so, we'll open ourselves up to the reality of God transforming us so that we can experience what a real relationship with God looks like, what it means to actually follow the way of Jesus. And I'm not saying it's easy, it's difficult. You know, Jacob said sometimes he just flips through the Bible. There are going to be up times and down times. There are going to be rich times of incredible growth. And there are going to be some really dry, stagnant times as well. 
But if we want to really be people who follow Jesus, if we want to really have a relationship with God, then we have to do something about it. Now, if we are people who pursue our relationship with God, sometimes we might fall into particular traps. And I want to talk briefly about some of those. Maybe you're sitting out there tonight and you're like, you know, I got this whole following Jesus thing covered. Spiritual disciplines is not a problem for me. I get up at 6 and I pray on my knees every morning. That's awesome. That's great. But I definitely want you to listen up to some of these traps that we can fall prey to when it comes to pursuing our relationship with Jesus. Because I think we all need to hear them. The first trap that's easy to fall into is legalism. When we become really focused and disciplined about our relationship with God, we can, we can get really super regimented and legalistic and have boxes that we, we, that we think are, are pursuing a relationship with God. Spiritual disciplines have to fit into. And that is the last thing I want you to get out of what I'm challenging you with tonight. And I don't think that's what God wants you to think or feel about it either. Because God is a God of love and grace, not a God of legalism. When pursuing God degenerates into laws, then it ceases to be about God, and it becomes about control, manipulation. Now, the second trap that I think legalism results in is the trap of pride and fear. Pride takes over because we come to believe that we are people who, we are the right people who figured out the right way to do the right things. And we start to look down on other people because, wow, you know, they, it's too bad that they don't memorize scripture as well as I do. Or, you know, bless their heart. They haven't figured out how to be effective in prayer. You always knew that somebody's about to give an insult or gossip when they start a sentence with bless their heart. We can fall prey to God must love me more than these people because look at how great I am. It reminds me of the story Jesus tells with the Pharisee in the temple when he, um, he talks about the Pharisee praying and thanking God that he's not like the pathetic loser that's next to him in the temple. Where is the grace and the love and the humility in that? And on the flip side of pride is fear. And what fear looks like is that we dread losing control. We dread that we haven't figured out the right way. And, and no longer come... Be- It no longer is about following Jesus, and instead it's about making sure we do what we need to do to stay out of hell. Making sure we do what we need to do so God doesn't punish us. We're afraid that God's going to throw lightning bolts if we don't learn the Apostles' Creed fast enough or whatever. Pride and fear completely forget what pursuing God is about, and it's about a person. It's about a relationship with Jesus, and allowing ourselves to be transformed by him. Now, another trap that we fall into is becoming overly focused on our destination. While it's valuable to want to be like a holier person or to be able to spout off scripture, it misses the point entirely if we think, okay, I'm here, I'm here, and I want to be over here. What do I need to do to get from here to there? We become obsessed with the destination. Eugene Peterson was doing a Q&A here at UPC last year. 
And one person raised their hand. And if you don't know Eugene Peterson, he's kind of a spiritual hero for a lot of people. He's written a bunch of books. He translated the message. Um, And someone asked him, how do I become like you? What do I need to do to be you? And I don't remember exactly what what the answer was that he gave, but it was grace-filled. And it was something about, well, you don't want to be like me. You want to be someone who abides in Jesus. If it becomes, how do I get to there, then we've missed the point entirely of what it means to actually follow Jesus. Is there anybody in here who knows what my um, college major was? Nobody, really? People mock me for it all the time. What? Yeah. Um, Cartography. Actually, it was was geography, but I had a a concentration in cartography, which is map-making. Um, and before you mock the fact that I was a geography major, I'll just let you know that the average pay for geography majors across the country is a $1 million salary. And Michael Jordan was a geography major, so, I mean, maybe <laughs> he skewed the bell curve a little bit, but I made close to that. So I love maps. I am obsessed with maps. I have a big collection of maps. I love maps. And You'll know that if I go on a road trip anywhere, um, I am always looking at the map. I'm looking at where we are and where it is that we want to go and what do we need to do in order to get there. Even when it's GPS, you know, I'm watching the arrow the whole time that says, you know, in 0.5 miles, uh, keep to the right, followed by uh, keep to the left. Um, I'm always looking at the map. And I'm completely missing what's going on around me, right? And I know it's totally cliche to say this, but it's true. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And it's not about figuring out how to become Eugene Peterson or Ryan Church or like me. I wouldn't blame you if that's what you wanted to do, but (laughs) it's not about trying to become like those people It's about trying to become and discovering who God created you to be. The final trap that I think we fall into, probably the most common one, is that we give up when we we don't feel anything. I'm just not feeling it. It's well-covered territory in our culture that we want instant results, right? When something's broken, we want to fix it. We want to know everything we need to do in order to make that happen. And we want something, and we want it immediately. We want it instantaneously. And I think we can say that that translates pretty easily over to our faith as well. You know, I, I've tried to, you know, pursue God, like reading the Bible, praying and stuff, but it seems like my day sucks if I read the Bible or if I don't read the Bible. So what's the point? Or, you know, I'm, I'm just not getting anything out of it right now. I... I I tried to, you know, pray, but I didn't feel all that different, so I figured, why do it? Our relationship with God is about being intentional if we feel good about it or we don't. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes abiding, waiting expectantly for what God is going to do. I've um, explained this recently by talking about light. So the changes in light that happen during the change from seasons um, is averaged over time about three to five minutes a day. 
So from January until June, the change in the light that we have outside is about three or five minutes. Sometimes it's a little bit more, like when we jump ahead and everything. But it's, it's usually small enough that we don't really notice it on a day-to-day basis. And then Jan- um, June 22nd comes, and, you know, we look at our watches, and we're like, wow, it's 10 o'clock, and the sun is setting. That is crazy. I can't believe how light it is with how late it is. And I think that is what God's transformation is really like in our lives. It's not like on an everyday basis we can see the transformation that's taking place. Three to five minutes. Small little changes that God is making in our lives that we're not going to see instantaneously, but maybe a year down the road of actually putting in effort into our relationship with God, we're going to look back and be like, wow. I'm a totally different person than I was a year ago. God has completely been at work in my life, and I didn't even know it. And not only are we going to be the ones that notice it, other people are going to notice it in us as well. They're going to see the changes, the transformation that has happened. It's not all at once. Small changes, three to five minutes a day. Finally, I'm going to give you guys the secret of a vibrant, dynamic, abiding life in faith. (laughs) Oh, it's another genius equation. I know that you really like my mathematical prowess. So, here's what it is. Bottom basement price of of free 99, I'm going to give it to you. So, here's the first part of the equation. Spend time with God, squared, plus make time with God, squared, plus put time in with God times 10 to the fifth power equals time with God. That's the secret. It's a shortcut. Spend time with God. That is how you actually are going to grow your relationship with God. How God is going to get into your life and actually bring about transformation. Am I saying that we should all go off and be monks? No. Our individual relationship with God really doesn't mean anything unless we're in community with other people. And actually, community with other people is where we receive accountability. And that's what... A lot of our friendships are for. That's what our core group is for. That's what the human staff is for. We're not here to tell you how to do everything and figure everything out for you, but we are here to walk alongside you as you discover who God has created you to be. Our faith isn't a list of rules. It's not a code that we have to decipher. But what it is, is following the way of Jesus and allowing him, opening ourselves up to allow him to actually do a work of transformation in our lives. But we have to meet him there. Let's pray. Gracious God, we desperately want to know more of you. We want to see you at work in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls and in our everyday lives. God, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray that they would be able to make the time to discover more of you. I pray that they would be able to have the patience that it takes to allow you to be at work. God, we are confident that it is your transformation that is, it is work in each and every one of us. And I pray that we would be ready and willing and aware 
to accept it. In your holy name, amen.